family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. As we continue in our series right now, this reflection series, the scripture that it's been based on is Proverbs 27, 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And we've talked about how encounters with God, with Jesus, and with scripture, how all those encounters are reflected in our heart. Today, we're gonna talk specifically about how those encounters with the Holy Spirit are reflected in our hearts. Ryan's already talked a little bit about Acts 2, and so our scripture today is from Acts 3 and 4. And just to set the scene for it a little bit, everyone is in Jerusalem for Pentecost. We didn't invent the name Pentecost. It was actually the name of the holiday that they were celebrating at the time in Jerusalem. And that festival was the harvest, um, the festival of the weeks. And it, it was one of the holy days, if you go back in the Old Testament, it's one of the holy days that God set aside. It was a time when all of the tribes were called to come back to Jerusalem. And it was an early harvest, and it was the presentation and the dedication of their first fruits to God. But at that time, everyone would have been present. All the tribes would have had representatives and had people present in Jerusalem for this. We celebrate it as the birthday of the church. We always typically go back to that chapter 2 in Acts, where the tongues of fire appear And we can see that theme and building of that fire. That fire was present at Mount Sinai when God made the covenant with Israel and issued the Ten Commandments. A pillar of fire was present over the tabernacle when God dwelled in the tent and lived among Israel. That fire is a marking of temple spaces. It's a marking of temple places where heaven and earth meet. And now, here we are in Acts chapter 2, and now we have these new mobile temples of Jesus with these tongues of fire over their head. This is God's people, this is his church, and it's where God now dwells. If you'd like to know a little bit about how my mind works theologically sometimes, you're about to really get a deep insight here. All week long when I've been reading the scripture in my mind, what I picture is in that little mini mobile unit of Jesus going out into the world is little mini Coopers with little flames painted on the side so they look like race cars. And instead of like a siren over the top, like a little flame dancing over the top of the car. So if you ever want to know how my mind works, (laughs) but I like that image, that image of God going out of this little army of mini Coopers going out into the world. And that's what's happening. We have, think about it, 3,000 people in Jerusalem 
have just received the Holy Spirit and been baptized, and they are going to go within Jerusalem and out of Jerusalem to spread the word. So this is where we find ourselves in Acts. The Holy Spirit has arrived in Jerusalem. The tongues of fire have rested on the people. 3,000 were baptized. Peter and John are now entering the temple to pray later that day. And they pass by a man who scripture says is over 40 years old, so probably spent the majority of his life in front of what's called the beautiful gate at the temple. He was begging for alms. That was how he lived. And he asked Peter, For some alms, and Peter replies, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Scripture says he was immediately made strong, he leapt up, and he entered the temple. And when Peter goes in, he's questioned. Peter explains that what was done was done by God, and he points out to those who are questioning him, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, he says, and by Jesus, the servant Jesus, who you killed. He gets in that little jab in there. And it says that the leaders of the temple were greatly annoyed, and so they arrested them. And so the next day is where we're going to pick up in Scripture, and they're being questioned, and what they were asked is, by what power or what name did you do this? And so in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and that's the word we're going to talk a lot about today is about boldness, so keep listening. And perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized them that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it might may spread no further among the people, let us warn them that they may speak no more or teach at all in the name of Jesus." But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. So we see in verse 8 and starting there, that boldness of Peter and John coming out. And then they went back and they returned to their friends and their friends prayed. And then when we jump down to verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with 
boldness. When we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, we are bold and confident. And that word in the Greek, parisia, means a freedom in speaking, an unreserved speech. And this is the part I really like. Free and fearless and in assurance. It's more than just talking loud and getting people's attention. That's not the kind of boldness that we're talking about. We're talking about speech and words that are free and fearless and come from the assurance of God. The Holy Spirit is many things and subtle is not one of them. But it doesn't just talk loud. The Holy Spirit proclaims the truth. And if we contrast this Peter that we see now and where Peter was at the time of uh, Jesus' death and crucifixion, there's quite a contrast here. In the garden, Peter reacted boldly. He chopped off the guard's ear. He acted with a rashness. That wasn't from God. Jesus healed him and made that right. It wasn't what Jesus wanted. It wasn't a part of God's plan and God's kingdom. We see Peter later on the night before Jesus was crucified denying Christ three times. He certainly wasn't feeling very bold at that time. By the fire, he wasn't truthful. He wasn't free. And he wasn't sure of anything. On that night, he was unsure of what was happening. Things were not turning out as planned. The king of kings does not get arrested in a garden. Things did not look like they were supposed to, and he was afraid. I think they all were. He wasn't bold, he wasn't confident, and he wasn't assured. And sometimes that describes us as well in life. When we are unsure of what is happening, when life has taken a sudden and unexpected turn and is not working out as we had planned, we're afraid. We can be afraid of a diagnosis. We can be afraid when we experience a job loss, when a marriage is falling apart. Afraid when we are faced with addiction or mental illness. Afraid that we don't measure up, that we're not good enough, or maybe just not enough at all. Maybe we're afraid we're too much. Afraid that if someone really knew me, there is no way they would love me. And afraid that if God really knew me, there is no way he could forgive me. And we can put on a show and we can behave in a rash manner, but that confidence and that assurance is not from God. It's not from Jesus. You can tell the difference because when we're behaving in a way that isn't from God, it's hurtful and it causes pain. But when the Holy Spirit is involved, when things don't go as planned or according to our plan, and we find ourselves losing that boldness and confidence, the Holy Spirit comes in. That boldness and confidence comes from knowing that the Holy Spirit is who is guiding and leading us, and our words come from the Holy Spirit. Peter talked a big talk that night of the rest of Jesus, 
But in the end, he was still trying to reconcile everything that was happening with what he thought was going to happen. John Wesley was very religious and pious, and it was not until his Aldersgate experience, which is where he feels like he truly experienced the Holy Spirit, that he felt that presence. When we look at this time in Wesley's life, he had gone to America. Things had not gone well, had not gone as planned. He was hightailing it back to England. And on the ship, on, the, on that boat, a huge storm came. And the Moravians that were on the boat with them continued to sing and praise God, and he noticed they weren't afraid. And he couldn't figure it out. It's like, what's the difference? How did not even your women and children cry? How are they so confident? How are they so bold in their faith? And so that set him on a journey. He realized there is something more. He's already, keep in mind, been through Oxford. He's already well into his ministry, and he's now realizing there is even more. Because he was confronted with a moment where his faith wasn't big enough. When I worked as a chaplain at the hospital, I was meeting with someone, a man one time, and it was very clear as he was kind of talking about his faith and expressing it that he came from a very prosperity gospel-oriented place. And he really could not reconcile that he had done all the things that he was supposed to do, and yet he still had this diagnosis, this terminal diagnosis. He didn't know anything other than God's blessings through positive things. And he was having to reconcile how God blesses him in this circumstance as well. And so through it and through our conversation and the questions that we work through and talk through and I left him with, because you don't get a conversation like that resolved in, in one visit by any means, was the fact that he needed to redefine who God was. He was limiting God. And that's kind of what Wesley was doing too. When we look back at Wesley, while he was a student at Oxford, and I would not want anyone to go back to my college journals and hold me theologically accountable for them either, so keep that in mind as we are looking at this. We're looking at a, a young man's <laughs> journal thoughts while he's entering seminary. But this is what he had set as his goals and he hoped to be saved by. One, not being so bad as other people, having still a kindness for religion, and to read the Bible, go to church, and say his prayers. That was where he was content to be. And I think sometimes we can all fall into the trap and be content in that place. But then Wesley had his Aldersgate experience. By this point, he's met with the Moravian pastors, and he's been on this journey, and he's trying to figure this out. And this is what Wesley said of that experience that night. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death even mine. He finally felt that assurance. In these special encounters that we have with the Holy Spirit, when we talk about that, they come when we are seeking. 
They come when we are praying. They come when we are in community. They come when we have opened our hearts and we're expecting to receive something from God because we realize there's more. When I asked God to teach me obedience, I ended up in some very weird and very awkward conversations and situations. But I had an assurance that no matter how awkward or strange or unfamiliar that situation was, that it was exactly where God wanted me to be. There was a peace that surrounded me that was palpable. The Holy Spirit was present and in me. And those are the kind of kingdom moments that the Holy Spirit brings. We have those moments where we are able to experience the kingdom of God, heaven and earth meet, and God is present. That is a Pentecost moment. And we celebrate Pentecost because it helps us to remember. Remember what is available to us now with confidence and assurance. Pentecost is the birthday of the church, the marking of a temple space. But it wasn't a building and it wasn't a tent. It wasn't even a burning bush. It was in the people. And this is where God now dwells. 3,000 mobile temples going out into the world. And the Holy Spirit is available to us too. It's not just something that happened on that particular day 2,000 years ago. We are temples of God. And through the Holy Spirit, we experience God's kingdom here on earth. And when we are seeking it, God shows up. John Wesley said that night that he went unwillingly. Jessica Legrone, who is a, a writer and pastor, um, posted on May 18th was Aldersgate Day um, that we remember. Um, and she posted that this is the reason why she makes her children go to church. <laughs> because John Wesley went that night unwillingly, very unwillingly, I might add. Sometimes we worship when we don't feel like it. And sometimes we continue to seek God in the midst of our day-to-day -day lives when we may not be able to see exactly what God has in store for us. But Wesley had the faith of a servant. This is what he says about that experience. He says he now had the faith of a servant, one who serves God, or excuse me, he had the faith of a servant. He had the faith of a servant, one who serves God out of reverential fear. But now he has the faith of a son, one who serves God out of gratitude and love. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are called and made God's sons and daughters. And John Wesley was searching. And when he was doing that searching, he was doing that within community. He was doing that within the church. Not just the Church of England, but he was meeting with the, this um, pastor from the Moravian Church. His name was Spangenberg. And when they were having a conversation, Wesley documented this and the questions that he asked him. And these are the questions that this Moravian pastor asked John Wesley. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And Wesley says that it was an opportunity for him to give a forthright witness, but he tells us in his journal 
that he was surprised by the questions and he did not know the answer. Spangenberg probed more, asked more questions. And this is what he asked next. Do you know Jesus Christ? And after a pause, this was Wesley's response. I know he is savior of the world. And Spangenberg replied, true, but do you know he saved you? And Wesley answered, I hope he has died to save me. In which the pastor then replied, do you know yourself? And Wesley said, I do. But later in his journal, he wrote, I fear they were vain words. When we're searching, we need to find someone who's going to ask us these types of questions. That's the purpose of a band group or a class meeting when we come together. It's the purpose of Emmaus groups to continue asking those questions. When we ask, how is it with your soul? And do you know that he saved you? Those are big questions. And when we can answer them with that assurance and that confidence, that's the Holy Spirit providing that. That is what we're celebrating when we celebrate Pentecost. We're celebrating these new, many mobile temples of God. We experience it as individuals, but collectively as the church, it is who we are. It's how we come together as individuals and we meet in this place and then we go out from here. We continue to see more of Jesus and more of the Holy Spirit and we do this through the church, through worship and prayer and scripture and in community. And then in surprising ways and surprising moments, the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and suddenly we experience more of Jesus and more of the kingdom on earth. As I invite the band to come back up, I want us to think about as we leave this place today, what we're called to do, what Pentecost means to us. I think it's a moment when we realize that our plan was never going to bring about that peace. Wesley's plan was not a bad one. But listen to it. He just doesn't want to be as bad as others. He wants to have a kindness for religion, read the Bible, go to church, and pray. But God's plan, God's kingdom looks totally different than what the world tells us a kingdom is supposed to look like or what success or prosperity is supposed to look like. We learn that we are entirely dependent on God's grace and it is abundant. And we are left with a boldness that comes from a confidence and assurance that our sins are forgiven, that my sin is forgiven, that your sin is forgiven. When there are storms in life and when others are pointing us in different directions with different answers, the Holy Spirit provides the peace that passes all understanding because it flows from our understanding of whose we are, a son and daughter of God. And that his kingdom will come, his will be done. 
the confidence and the boldness of Peter and John and the other followers who prayed together is available to us as well. Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross so God's kingdom could come to earth as it is in heaven. It's how we experience God. It's how as we seek for more, we know that there is more. And that God uses the Holy Spirit, he uses the creation of the church to help us experience more of him. It's the ways in which we go out from this place and we share that with others. It's the ways in which we seek to continue to experience God in new and amazing ways. Because typically, our definition and our understanding of God is limiting. But the more that we're in scripture, the more that we pray, the more that we're in community together, and the more that we worship in God's presence, even when we go unwillingly, the Holy Spirit shows up. God shows up. And we are healed, and we are forgiven, and we have new life in Christ that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.